Praise the Lord, Grace Church. I said, praise the Lord, Grace Church. Is anybody glad to be in the house of God today? Has God been good to you? Have you come to magnify his name today? Can we all stand and give God a little bit of praise in this place? Hallelujah. Chains are broken because you have spoken. It is finished on the cross. Now I'm living in your freedom. Jesus, you have set me free. You have. 
give the Lord a hand clap of praise today unto the Lord because he is good because he is faithful because he has never left you he's never forsaken you he's always been there oh we love you today Jesus amen God bless you today Grace Church you can be seated that's what you were waiting on the God bless you you can be seated there you have it. It's great to see all of you here today. I'm glad that you could be with us here at Grace Church on a Sunday morning. All of you that are joining us via live stream, welcome to you as well. We thank you for tuning in wherever you are. We want to make just a few announcements this morning, and then we'll move on into the next part of our worship service. Uh, first of all, we want to remind you this coming Monday night, our um, evening prayer, United Family Prayer continues at 714 so keep that in mind. And also, uh, due to the holidays, we do have several changes to our uh, church schedule here on campus. So please keep these in mind. Tuesday, the 24th, Tuesday morning prayer has been dismissed, as well as service this coming Wednesday night. And then men, uh, men's prayer that was scheduled for Saturday, the 28th, has also been dismissed. Saturday, December 5th, will be an election so for those of you that live in voting districts, please keep that in mind. And then a very special time, we want you to make sure you put on your calendar December 13th, Grace Christmas service right here on campus at 11 a.m. It's going to be a special time. It always is, and uh, we trust that you will be blessed by coming and bringing a visitor with you on, uh, on Sunday, December 13th. And as always, you can stay updated with things going on here at Grace Church via the church app or by clicking on the events tab on our website. So it's Thanksgiving. Y'all are, okay, maybe I'm alone <laughs> in, in recognizing that this coming Thursday is Thanksgiving. 2020, in spite of being one catastrophe after another between COVID and pandemics and murder hornets and whatever else craziness has gone on this past year, God has been in control and has been speaking to his people. And this is a time for us to remember all of the things that we have to be thankful for. Now, I'm not a big fan of Facebook. If you are, God bless you. I love you. I choose to get most of my uh, memes through Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, so there might be a little bit of hypocrisy on my part in that, but I saw something on Instagram the other day, and it said, if you lost tomorrow everything that you did not thank God for today, what would you have left? Now, I don't think that God wants to guilt you into gratefulness. I don't believe that that is the message of the gospel at all. But it did make me think a little bit about, okay, what exactly did I thank God for today? And so as we are in this Thanksgiving season and then the Christmas season, which is uh, something that we definitely have to be grateful for, I just want to challenge you over the next few days to thank God for all of the things that you might be taking for granted. You know, just the fact that I woke up this morning and could see with my eyes and walk outside and see sunshine or, or see the smile on my, on my children's faces as they ate their eggs and biscuits and breakfast sausage. Uh, just the fact that I can hear with my ears and hear laughter 
and hear the word and hear music. The fact that I can move my legs and get up out of bed and go where I want to go. And, I mean, these, these are little things that, that I don't take for granted. These are blessings that come from God. So as we are over ingesting all of the, the turkey and dressing or whatever your Thanksgiving Day meal of choice might be, I want to thank God, Lord, just for, for the little things as well as the big things. Not out of a, out of a heart of, of guilt, but just out of a heart of gratitude. God, you have blessed me so incredibly, and I just want to say thank you. Let's continue to worship together today. God bless you.
give the Lord some hand, some praise this morning. He is worthy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God Almighty. Blessed is His name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're not going through motions here this morning. This is real. What you're doing is real. It has value. It pleases God. What greater thing can you do this morning than to lift your voice to your God and magnify His name? It is the Lord. And somebody say, Praise the Lord. Praise God. I appreciate seeing all of you here this morning. I, I, I greatly appreciate the praise team and the environment that they, they create, allow us to walk into praise. I know I can't carry a tune, and I don't have to because they're here. I tried to learn an instrument when I was young, and my wife mercifully encouraged me to stop. But I can tell God I love him. I can lift his name up. I can magnify him. I, don't, I may not be able to do it in tune, and you may not like the way I sound, but I know how good God is to me, and I want him to know that I appreciate him this morning. God bless you. I do appreciate his humbling experience to be behind this sacred desk, and I, I'm going to endeavor to be concise and to the point. But I do have, I am a burdened heart this morning, and I'm going to endeavor to do my best to give you what I feel God has given me. So our, our scripture text, our scriptural text this morning, it's going to be drawn from more than one location, and it's, it's, it's going to encompass several verses. I'm, I'm going to simply read one verse of scripture, and then I'm going to let you be seated, and I'll read the rest of it a little bit later in my message. You can turn with me to Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. It's the last book of the Bible, last book of the Old Testament. Verse 6 says, And a son honors his father, and a servant his master. This is simply a statement of truth. If then, this is God saying, If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? If I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Lord, we love and appreciate you this morning, and we know, Lord God, that your presence is here. We have your attention, dear God, and we are humbled, humbled by it, dear God. We are not worthy, Lord Jesus to garner one moment of your attention, dear God, but we are thankful that you are here. We pray, Lord God, that you would anoint, Lord Jesus, the remainder of this service. Touch us in our hearts, dear God. Mold us, Lord Jesus, into the vessel, dear God, that you want us to be. Anoint your word and, and everyone say amen. Praise the Lord, you may be seated. Thank you, Sister Julia. So this has been... Here comes the most massive understatement I've said in the last several weeks. This has been an interesting year. You don't think so? Yeah, I figured I'd get one or two amens from that one. This, and it's not over yet, 
Um, but this has been an interesting year. And here is the thing. As interesting and as exciting and as frustrating as it has been, we need to worship God anyway. We need to worship God, not because we had a we made it through this interesting year. We need to worship God and magnify God accurately because he's God. And he deserves the worship of his people. The ones that he died for, that he shed his blood for on a cross. That is why our God deserves the praise and the worship of his people. If nothing else is done, if, if 2021 is worse... I've got to praise God, regardless of how I feel, regardless of the situation, my praise needs to be pure, and my worship needs to be focused on Him. It is, this year it has, been, it has been physically and mentally and emotionally exhausting. The circumstances through which many have walked and, and, and some are still walking, can and, and perhaps have stolen from them the vigor that they enjoyed in the not-so-distant past. They're tired. We're tired. The incessant, repetitive, emotionally abrasive conditions around us have the potential to extract from us the necessary appreciation for that which is holy. Because we get to focus in on the things around us and the conditions of our lives and the situations that we're dealing with and we'll have to deal with. God, you're just going to have to take a back seat for a little while. I've, I've got to deal with this. Perhaps what we're dealing with has scoured from our minds and our thoughts the truly important things which is actually just one thing. And that one thing has a name, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The environment in which we live, if we aren't careful, can become the sole focus of our lives. I believe that's what it's meant to do. I'm, I believe it's, a lot of it's meant to be a distraction. It can become a justification for withdrawal and can change deep reverential awe of the Most High into indifferent mechanical acknowledgement. We enter into this place to worship God, not to impress one another. I think you're a beautiful people, but I don't care what you're dressed like. Don't take that as an opportunity to dress nutty. But that's not why we're here. This is not a fashion show. It's not a concert. I'm not a motivational speaker. We're here because God is real. And we need to acknowledge that God is real, regardless of what we're going through. I feel that I'm standing here this morning, propelled into this place to remind the body of Christ and those who profess a knowledge of God of a few truths that haven't changed 
One of those is that God is real. He's not a figment of my imagination. He's not this ancient symbol of anything. He is God, and he is real. Regardless of what the present circumstance is, he is the only sovereign king. And we need, we desperately need a move of his spirit in our churches. Another truth is his power and his majesty and his glory are in truth beyond our comprehension. And he deserves not only our love, but our reverence, our respect, and our fear. That hasn't changed. We also need to be reminded that he, God, he deserves the absolute best from his creation, regardless of the circumstances or elements of our life. He deserves our best. I'm going to talk this morning, the title of my message is The Quality of the Sacrifice. And we're not really going to be keying in on the actual sacrifice. We're going to talk about that in a little while. But it's what is, what is underlying that. What is the motivation? We're going to be talking about attitudes. I, expo- I, I hope to explain to you this morning, speaking of attitudes, about how powerful our disposition and our, our orientation toward God is. Why? Because I believe that there is an obstacle to deep relationship with God and that barrier is often in our mindset or our attitude, the way we think about God, the way we conduct ourselves toward him. If I could tell you one thing today, and that is God is not common. God is not common and should not be treated as such. I read just a moment ago from the last book in the Old Testament, and it contains within it a dialogue between between God and the people of Israel. And this is basically the remnant of Israel, and and this dialogue is not a pleasant one. The book of Malachi was, was written by the prophet approximately 100 years after the children of Israel returned from Babylonian exile. And it was directed to a people who had been living in Jerusalem for a considerable time. They made it back. They were in exile. They had had made their way back to their land of promise. But things had not been restored in the way that it should have. The temple, it had been rebuilt. And the people had settled into a life filled with approximations. They settled into their old homes and their old habitats, and they accepted lives filled and defined by approximates. Not the real thing, just something close enough. They were Israelites, but at this time, whenever we read this scripture, their genetics was the most accurate thing that tethered them to who they were supposed to be. They were people who were living in the right place, who had the right name and the correct pedigree. They had an association 
and a knowledge of Yahweh, of Jehovah, of God. They understood the mechanism of worship, and yet there was this deep deficiency within them. I don't care how you look. God's not looking on the exterior of our lives to determine our relationship with him. There's something that has to be going on inside our hearts and inside of us that proclaims that God is our only God, that there is no other, that there is no substitute, and that we will not be satisfied with approximations. It does me no good to stand before you and put on Pentecostal camouflage if there's nothing going on in here. They were a people, lived in the right place and looked the right way, but there was something missing. This deep deficiency was revealed in the quality of their sacrifices to God. But that was simply the symptom of an underlying problem of attitude and mental orientation. There was a mental and spiritual disease that had infected the Israelites. It had metastasized throughout their culture and had caused them to approach God as an idea rather than a reality. I'm going to read to you Malachi 1, 6 through 14. It's a lengthy reading, but I think it is necessary. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Verse 9, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by our hands. What he's basically saying is you're giving deficient sacrifices, but you still want something from God. You want him to accept your leftovers, but you want him to give you his all. Verse 10, who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that You would not kindle fire upon my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept the offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick 
Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Verse 14, but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. But sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. These people, these chosen people who were selected by God to represent him among all nations, they were fortunate in being selected, just like you and I are. They were fortunate that God desired relationship with them. He wanted to demonstrate his holiness and his love and his tenderness and the magnitude of his mercy and his power through these people. They stood in the unique position as emissaries of the Lord among people who needed to know God accurately. Let's stop here for a second. It matters whether or not the authentic, accurate spirit of God is moving through us. Not just for you and I, but you are being observed by this world. And we have to offer something that is different than what they already find and already have. So it matters. So they stood in positions, in a unique position as an emissary or an ambassador of the Lord among people who needed to know him. God loved and fought for and delivered and provided for the children of Israel. He supplied their needs. He answered their prayers. He wanted to live among them, to walk with them and to communicate with them. But this interaction had to occur, had to occur according to the stipulated methods of God. You're not going to serve God any way you want to. God is sovereign, and God is specific. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, it says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. In other words, make this tabernacle exactly as I tell you to make it. Do not deviate from my plan. He's not interested in your artistic license. He, want, he gives it to you, and he wanted them to do it the way he wanted them to do it. God's instructions to Moses for the structure and the architecture of the tabernacle, which spans chapters 25 through 40 in, in Exodus, reveals to us that although our Lord desires relationship with mankind, it is to be done according to his specific plan and expectations. God had no intention of bowing his knee to the varying whims and attitudes of those ancient people just to fulfill his desire for interaction. We will not hold our worship in ransom for God's presence. If you want my, if you want my worship, then you're going to have to do what I want you to do, God. That's not the way it works. The structure, the tabernacle was to be built exactly as he intended. The furniture was to be constructed exactly as he intended. And the sacrifice that was placed upon that altar 
was to be of a quality that was acceptable to God. When the people came to worship, God did not require quantity, but quality. The Israelites were required to bring basically tokens, really, of their herds and of their crops, a handful of grain or an animal from their fam- for their family. What they brought, however, had to pass two important rules, two important tests. What they brought had to be the first, and it had to be the best. Nothing else mattered. It had to be the firstborn of the animals, or the first fruit of the crops, or the orchards, and God gets his share first. Why? Because he and he alone is God. To bring God a gift of inferior quality would say that one did not think much of God. And this is something that we don't face, a reality that this world does not promote. What you offer in sacrifice indicates what you think of the one you're sacrificing to. Is my God holy? I give him holy sacrifices in my life. Is my God sovereign? Or do I place him second and third on the list of my priorities? My God is not second or third in anybody's priority list if they're they're thinking right. The quality of the gift indicates the value the giver places on the one receiving the gift. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3 says, If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him, bring, let him offer a male without blemish. Leviticus 1 and 10 says, If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring, bring a male without blemish. Verse, chapter 2 verse 1 of Leviticus says, When someone... When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine quality flour. The requirements for the acceptable burnt sacrifice was that they be a male without blemish. Offering a perfect animal was the only real sacrifice. Those animals were not something that that, that people just didn't really want anymore. They had to have value to the people that were offering the sacrifice. These perfect animals were valuable for breeding and for sale, for extending their wealth. They had to have real tangible value for those people offering their sacrifice to God. This was the specific way in which the liberated Israelites were to worship and approach their God. It was meant to be done deliberately with thoughtful consideration and attention to the quality of their sacrifice. You have to excuse me, folks. I can't help but get hot whenever I preach. So their sacrifice had to be done deliberately And it had to be thoughtful, and there had to be attention to the quality of their sacrifice. Every time the children of Israel selected the best quality from their harvest, every time they chose that unblemished animal 
from their herds. They were acknowledging the preeminence of God in their lives and their culture. Every time they made that deliberate choice, they were saying to God, I value you so much that I'm going to pick the best thing I can to worship you. They were orienting their minds and their attitudes in a manner that placed God first. Regardless of the circumstances that they found themselves, regardless of whether or not they were being attacked on every side, whenever they picked out that animal, everything else was secondary. They were saying to God, you and you alone are first in my life. This deliberateness was, a simp- was simply a byproduct of belief. If you believe something is real, then your actions will reflect that belief. That's a simple concept. Somewhere along the line, between Leviticus and Malachi, something happens to the people and to the priesthood. At one point in their collective cultural history, they stood as a liberated society with God as their foundation. He was their provider. He was their champion. He was their strength. Aaron and that newly appointed priesthood, they stood before that altar and they accepted only spotless sacrifices without any blemish. And with great reverence, they offered them to God in the expanse of the wilderness that was their their place of transition. They saw the smoke of their sacrifice ascend into the heavens as they stood between bondage and promise. They were a people. They were a people in need. They faced difficulties and a future filled with conflict, and yet they paused in the middle of their tumultuous lives, and they offered unto God their absolute very best. I wonder if that's within us this morning. When we're, we're surrounded by the needs of our lives, the issues of work and the, the issues of COVID and, and political turmoil and social turmoil, we're, we're assaulted on every side by everything that you can imagine. Do we, do we get up in the morning and we, we get in a quiet place and we say, God, I know everything is going on, but let me get quiet here with you because I value you more than my political beliefs more than my patriotism, more than my health. I value you and you alone above all these things. Or do we place these things above our God? Do they pollute our minds and cause us to give an inferior sacrifice to our God? This mentality to worship and acknowledge the supremacy and authority of God as an integral aspect of one's life, regardless of circumstances, is becoming rare in this world. This world has become increasingly motivated by self-interest. It promotes the attitude that says Jesus is so merciful and so loving and so gracious that he must be waiting anxiously to fulfill my every desire. The Israelites at that moment offered sacrifices with an attitude at that moment when they were in the desert 
And for a period of time in their lives, they offered sacrifices with an attitude and a mentality of reverence, respect, deep love, and a wise fear of God. Their eyes were not only on their future, but also on their past. They walked toward, they walked forward in the confidence of their newly reestablished knowledge of God as well as a, as standing in the remembrance of God, what God has, has already done. So the sacrifices to God were offered from a place of deep appreciation and respect. And when we move forward in time from that moment in the desert and we move over into a different chapter of their lives, we discover only a remnant of those desert dwellers. These people have been through wars, both physically and spiritually. Instead of being a beacon to those around them, they have been influenced by the world in which they live. They have compromised and incorporated and accepted, and in, and in doing so, they at this point are simply going through the motions of worship. Their attitude toward God is demonstrated in the quality of their blemished sacrifices. There is no reference. There is no fear and there is no respect. They offer to God from the remnants of their lives. They give to him from convenience and not careful examination and consideration. Their lives follow a system that approximates actual worship and commitment, but has been reduced to fit their schedules and their appetites. These animals were brought by a people who knew the expectations of their God. It was, these animals were sacrificed by a priesthood who knew better. They knew the stringent requirements of their sovereign God. These people, they were simply going through the motions of temple service to execute duties but their actual attitude toward God was revealed in the inadequacy of their sacrifice. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the way of the world. God has been purposefully reduced to simply a concept. Our need of him is, is as great as it has ever been. We exist in a world that is caustic to our souls. This world abrades our minds and our hearts, leaving humanity violated and vulnerable. It is into this environment of spiritual deficiency and unnatural separation. There is supposed to exist a light. There is supposed to exist a light that is accurate to the God that illuminates us. A light that is set upon a hill where people stand against the polluted tides of this world and are still offering to God their very first and their very best. This world reduces God to his most manageable attributes. It loves to talk about his love and his and his mercy and his graciousness and his compassion and his forgiveness. And I'm not diminishing any of those things. But God is more than those attributes. 
Our, our society would have you believe that love means tolerance. That grace means permission. That his holy mercy is reduced to just an open door. That the beauty of forgiveness is, has been morphed into a life that is safe from consequence. This reduction removes the emotionally cumbersome aspect of fear, respect, and reverence. Let me, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We serve God. He does not serve us. We serve Almighty God. He does not bow a knee to his creation. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This corrupted mindset, it allows for a man to create a church experience that is satisfactory to them, but isn't concerned about whether it's satisfactory to God. This world is content with approximations to holy things rather than existing within an environment of absolute accuracy to the expectations of our Creator. A rough approximation of the gospel will not save you. You have got to understand the relevance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus if you want to make it from here to there. We must take great care that this spiritual apathy doesn't infect the body of Christ. We are being called, ladies and gentlemen, to consider the quality of our sacrifice. We are being challenged to deliberately regard the attitude and mentality toward our sovereign God. Many of us are in possession of the promise. We are no longer enslaved under the weight of sin, having been liberated by that precious gospel of God. Yet have we become enslaved by another master the fickle, fickle master of circumstance? Are our minds distracted when we enter environments of praise and worship? Do we stand idle and motionless in the awesome presence of God? Hallelujah. When Jesus stands in front of us making his appeal to deeper relationship, is our minds lost in consideration of our upcoming busy week? Are we silent when those around us sing about the majesty and the power of Jesus? Do we scroll through our social media instead of considering the implications of the preached Word of God? Are we throwing upon the altar the bloody bodies of inferior sacrifices and then wonder why church has become less powerful and wonder why we haven't seen a move of God as he wants to give us. And in the front of us is the stench of an inferior sacrifice, an indifferent mind, a cavalier attitude toward our God. My God is worth the best that I can give him. It's worth every ounce of energy that I can give him. Hallelujah.
up. Blessed is the Lamb of God. Holy is the Lord Jesus. Glory be unto his name. Blessed is the Lamb of God. Holy is the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Do we long for a more vibrant connection to God? Or are we satisfied with rough approximations to relationship? Are we satisfied with being called a Christian rather than a committed follower of Christ? Have people resigned themselves with an experience that is defined by the extent of human, of human imagination and technology rather than the expansive expression of our God spirit? The truth is, is that distracted worship is not really worship at all. Indifferent praise is praise laughing, lacking in, in, in authenticity. A life casually lived for God is a life existing always on the periphery of his presence. The questions I asked earlier can be asked in many congregations throughout our nation. But ladies and gentlemen, we are very fortunate. We're very fortunate. God is a being of immeasurable love. God is a being of conquering mercy and conquering grace. He gives, he gives us in Scripture the template for the proper approach of those in the church age now. There is an example of the appropriate attitude of worship, sacrifice, and service to God. And we find it a few hundred years after the words in Malachi chapter 1 were written. We march forward about 400 years. And we enter a room where Jesus is sitting around a bunch of men. And, and in walks this woman. In walks this precious woman who recognizes who's in the house. Mark chapter 14, 3 through 9 says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she took that box and she broke it. And she poured it on Jesus' head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and says, why, why waste this ointment? For it may have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against us. And then Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? She's done, she's done something good for me. I accept it. It is pleasing to me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me, ye only have a short while. She had done, she hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for the burying. Verily I say to you, whosoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for memorial of her. I know very little about this woman. But what I do know is that she gave a quality sacrifice and that Jesus was pleased. When this woman broke her alabaster box, she committed and walked into that room. She committed a social indiscretion. The women in that day, particularly in that part of the country, were, were to stay in the background. 
they were never to be the center of attention. It was a, a very patriarchal society with strict rules of conduct and behavior. You just, they just didn't walk in the room and draw attention to themselves. Yet this woman, she does something which is so unusual and so out of the ordinary and such a social error, error that the people immediately speak, begin speaking against her. Why would this woman insinuate herself into a place that she wasn't supposed to be? Why would she do that? Because Jesus was there. Jesus was there. She found herself near the Lord. And in that moment, something came over her. She was compelled to worship him with everything that she could. She wasn't interested in the propriety of her actions in regard to the conventions of society. She didn't care who was looking at her at church. She didn't care if she wasn't dressed like everybody else. She didn't care if she was the only person standing at the altar. Jesus was there, and she had to let him know that she loved him. We learn from other accounts of this narrative that this woman is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. She is a person with a knowledge of Jesus' identity. She is a person in possession of an authentic experience with Christ. She was the woman sitting at the feet of Jesus as her sister was distracted by necessity. How many sit under a preacher's voice this morning who have an, a knowledge of God, who have had an authentic experience with Christ, who have been filled with His Spirit and yet sit idle in the presence of God. Mary remembers her brother exiting a tomb after being dead for four days because this same Jesus simply instructed a dead man to walk again. Mary stands in the presence of God and she wants to worship. What does she do? Does she act impulsively? Does she find whatever just laying around and give it to him? No. She remembers a very expensive bottle of perfume worth 300 denarii, which would constitute a full year's pay for the average laboring man in those days. She goes home and she deliberately, consciously chooses to retrieve this expensive, precious possession. And she carries this thing and she makes sure, she's, as she's walking back to the house, she's making sure it doesn't break and she doesn't drop it. Because it's, it's, it was meant for something before, but now it's meant for something else. And what it's meant for now is more important. She takes this precious thing that she has, more than likely the most expensive thing that she owns, and she deliberately breaks it. And she pours it on the head and the feet of Jesus. She does this, ladies and gentlemen, not because he's going to do something else for her. She does this because of who Jesus is. I don't know what you want to get from God, but I know something. 
I know God has done a whole lot in our lives already. And I believe he's worth the best that I can give him. I don't want to hold nothing back from my God. I don't want the church to be known as a place of half measures. Oh, we serve a God and he is worth every praise, every moment of worship, every amount of energy that you can have this morning. You need to direct it to God. Praise God, she does this because of who Jesus is and because he is worth her very best. We have no indication that alabaster box was not purchased and cared for so that she could break it and pour its contents on Jesus. There was no premeditation to that purchase. She had no idea where Jesus was going to be. All we know is that when she had the opportunity, when she went to church, when she got into her prayer closet, when she had the opportunity, Mary wasn't distracted by circumstance. She wasn't intimidated by her surroundings. She wasn't thinking of a suitable alternative that was less expensive, allowing her to retain something of value her attitude was not of indifference or apathy. She may have, she may have been, been overwhelmed. She, she may have been burned out by the issues of her life. But at that moment, Jesus was in the house, and she had an opportunity to worship. I know how you feel. I get it. This has been an interesting year. But my God still deserves the worship of his people. We still need to bow a knee. We still need to lift our voice. My God is worth the worship of his people. The quality of her sacrifice revealed her attitude toward Jesus. Our musicians can come on up. I'm almost done. The quality of her sacrifice revealed her attitude toward Jesus. It was precious, so it was given because he is precious. He is not inferior, substandard, secondary, or common. My God is real. He is unique, and he deserves every ounce of praise and worship and service that I can give him. When that woman was criticized, it was Jesus who came to her defense. She didn't have to justify her actions. They stood as a silent recrimination against her accusers. She was basically saying, I'm giving my very best. Why are you standing there and complaining? Why don't you bring something of your own? Her sacrifice, her offering, came from a place of deep appreciation, respect, fear and reverence. That woman's actions echo through time. Her sacrifice instructs us 2,000 years later about the proper mindset as we approach our God. It also stands as a testament against a priesthood and a people that came before her 
and who offered something inadequate and inferior. So here we are on a Sunday morning, a week before, a few days before Thanksgiving. I appreciate what you said, Brother Jason, this morning. I am thankful. I am thankful that I'm here, that I'm standing in front of you, that I'm able to sweat and preach and yell at you. Why am I thankful for that? Because I could be somewhere else. I didn't have to be a preacher. I didn't even have to be alive. But I am. And I want to give my God the very best. I want to give my God my very best. So this is where we stand. On the precipice of a decision. We are at the juncture of compromise and casual indifference to our holy God. Or we can make a commitment that is commensurate with His holy reality. Do we stand with the Pharisees? Do we stubbornly minimize and ignore the tender, real presence of God so that we can hold to the established religiosity of this world? Jesus said something about that. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This was an accusation made by Christ to those who were supposed to recognize his manifestation. The Lord was pointing out that a serious disconnect can occur between the heart and between the head. Do we want that apostolic move of God's Spirit in our lives? It is necessary. It's necessary. Or do we allow the spirit of this world to subdue us and corrupt our minds toward God? You can stand, please. We're not here to produce a religious product. We are not here to impress the congregation across the street with our polished service. We're not engaged in religious one-upsmanship with every church around. We are here because of the grace and the gospel of God. And our voices should ring the halls of heaven at every chance we get. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, was a woman who valued Jesus more than convention, proper, uh, propriety, and position. She worshiped Jesus with her most and stood against men who had God manifested in their flesh but who made no move to worship at all. Her attitude is reflected in David as he danced before the Lord as the ark was brought home. That's the attitude that we need. Remember, the quality of our sacrifice reveals our attitude toward God. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But I still believe that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe that he is greater than the diseases of the body and the diseases of the mind. I believe that God is greater than nations, nature, and political systems. He was God before this world existed, and he will be God after it's gone. His throne is established by his power, not my power. Praise God, praise God, when the world was without form and void, it was his voice. 
It was the one that brought forth light and life. That is why Mary's gift of worship was acceptable and those ancient priests wasn't. The alabaster box was precious and those animals were common. Our God is worth more than casual, half-hearted praise and worship and service. So ladies and gentlemen, we need to evaluate this morning what we believe and determine what we're throwing on the altar and what we're keeping for ourselves. Can you worship God this morning? Can you lift your hands and magnify Him as He deserves? My God is real and He is listening for the voices of His people. He's not listening for musicians. He's not listening for the polished tones coming out, coming from this, this podium. He's listening for your voice. He wants to know what you say about Him. He's listening to hear if your, if your voice is raised in the cacophony of noise in this auditorium this morning. My question to you this morning is simply this. Do you believe in Him? Do you love Him? And if so, then you can you let Him know? Can you worship the Lord this morning? Can you magnify Him? Hallelujah. We're going to open up these altars this morning. It's a place of repentance and a place of worship. If you want to, I pray, as our, as our custom is, come forward. If you feel comfortable, if something is burning within your heart, let God know who you are. Magnify Him as they sing this morning. Let God know that you love Him. Transition from a place of apathy into a place of unadulterated worship. Praise Magnify Him this morning. Move beyond the place of comfort that you have stayed in for so long. Begin to walk out in a place of faith. Magnify God this morning. He is the only God that we have. He is the only God that exists. There is none other like Him. You ran to my rescue. wrap my around the cross. How far you
Dios.